Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Yeah, I, I went out with a girl at college. She was like dead into Speedway, so I went to that a few times. It's a funny sporting crowd, that proper minority sports vibes. and every, everyone. You sort of feel like everyone who goes there all the time knows you're just there on a lark yeah and you sort of you feel you feel very judged for not knowing the ins and outs and yeah it, yeah i don't know i went a few times just because like you know why not thing to do with your missus but show, show yeah, really. yeah safe to say since that relationship ended i have not watched any sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um my my driving instructor was into speedway bellevue aces they were cold weren't they they were yeah the aces yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, the aces. Is that what the fans uh, refer to them as? <laughs> this is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. The season starts here. It would have started last week if Manchester City had won the Community Shield, but they didn't, so it didn't. Instead, we're gearing up for the opener against Burnley on Friday night. One week into the campaign and the fixture list is already playing about with when you get to hear the Blue Moon podcast 24 hours earlier because of a pesky Friday night game. To that end, we're going to be taking a look at the time City have played on a Friday night later in today's show. Sam Roscoe's been through the archives of the Premier League era and there's a surprising number of talking points from Fridays in years gone by. We'll also take a look into the matches with Burnley and Sevilla. Yes, the Super Cup surprise does as well, but that's happening this week too. Will that be more important than the Community Shield? Well, you can find the answer to that on Wednesday evening at about 10 o'clock. I suppose we'd better begin by discussing the game at Wembley at the weekend. I'm David Mooney, and to join me in doing just that, we've got City fan Kieran Murray. Hello there. And from Sporting News, Dom Farrell. Hello, lads. So, uh, so yeah, um, season, season kicks off next week, Dom. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean... I don't know. When's, when's the parade for the Community Shield? Oh, <laughs> I know. They, they all do the Tony Adams thing outside into the town hall. Sorry. I, I, I didn't I, want to be like that, but I know, I know. It's weird, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Kieran, mm. have you celebrated a Community Shield win? Like, I mean, we haven't won one in years, but have you celebrated one like that in the past? Uh, Mancini's one, maybe? I, well, I, I remember that Tevez goal in the Maroon kit. Um, I was I was pretty happy with that. And then... Chelsea went down to 10 men. City sort of kind of scraped the win in the end, I think. And other than that, I don't think I remember any events from any other community <laughs> shield. Uh, Kyle Walker's overhead clearance off the line. Oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the kit, the, that, that kit was good as well. Gorgeous kit, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I have quite vivid memories of that. And Casey's daughter's christening, that was, we watched that game. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of associate that with, with a memory, but... Um, no, it is exactly, it's bizarre. This, you don't like to police other people's celebrations, but it is a glorified friendly that was invitational for Arsenal as a result of City winning both the Premier League and the FA Cup. And they uh, finished level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was a one-all draw, so... Um, Via a massive deflection. Like, lads, yeah, that's a shame here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I just, I don't understand why they're celebrating so hard anyway, because Liverpool won it last season... And then ended up finishing fifth last year, and the year before that, Leicester won or two are now relegated. So there's like, there, there's not great future ahead for the well, Community Shield winners. It's an improvement. They might finish third. Well, 
Yeah. Uh, well, before we get into all the analysis, uh, we're pleased to announce that this season of the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised City fixture over the 23-24 season. And with more than 900 sports pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter whether you're based in Manchester or Middlesbrough, you can catch every single minute of the action. Keep an eye out during the season for events, offers, content and competitions that put you closer to the action. And if you can't get yourself down to turf more for the season opener against Burnley, we'll preview that later on in the show as well, uh, then why not catch it on TNT Sports in the next best place, a Green King pub. Um, let's get to the Community Shield then. Um, Dom, I, like, I, I was laughing and joking about uh, the, the record after winning the Community Shield and, uh, you know, we're laughing and joking about the celebrations. Um, I, I'm cautious of trying to take too much from it, but is there is there an element to what Arsenal are, 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 are talking about, or certainly Arsenal fans are talking about, and a little bit of Aaron Ramsdale, about um, being able to, to kind of get one over on City in that, in, in that game? Um, I think that's more a thing for themselves. I mean, I, I think you're not getting one over on the team that have just won the three most important trophies. <laughs> I think it's, a, but I think it's an important thing for Arsenal because that no one expected them to win the league last year, but the manner in which they didn't was pretty sapping. Like yeah. that, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, not obviously when they lost to Forest and City were crowned, but that that day when City City won at Goodison. And then they got annihilated at home by Brighton. It was like, and also getting turned over massively at the Etihad Stadium. It was like there's, there's probably a few, a fair few mental scars there. So I think after having already got the piss taken out of the way, I think you can explain those celebrations by it was a little bit of you know, bit of an exorcism for him for what had been a pretty horrible couple of months. Um, I get that. I also, I'm also not entirely sure that bodes particularly well for a very good title bit run next time around because mm. so much of what Arsenal did last season was fueled by emotion and you sort of ride that wave. And it, last season, they reminded me, it was like a combination of when City won it for the first time with the Mancini in 2011-12 and then when Rodgers' Liverpool nearly won it in 13-14 that they were like Liverpool because they just kept winning and winning and they, they sort of went to see how, how far they could keep that rolling. And with the Mancini team, there was so much emotion, which all sort of blew up the year after because everyone ultimately hated him. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, they needed to go with that last year. But I then think this summer they've had a really impressive summer, not just in who they've bought. I mean, I still don't really understand the Kai Havertz thing, um, much less than anyone else who keeps playing him at centre-forward. But, you know, the, Rice is a great buy. Timber looks good. And they, and they got all the business done early, which is always... And I think back to City's best summer since the takeover, it's when they get things done early, which is interesting for this year. But I think in doing that, that's when I think they've got to take a next step on and sort of be a bit more of a refined, calm team. And I know last-minute equalisers, 111th-minute equalisers are good fun and all that, but it did look to me like... You know, not that I'm telling anyone to grow up here or anything, but sort of am. And if they're going to take a next step and be better than they were last year, and they've got to move on from that emotion that was fueling them. But that seems to be all that was there at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Kieran, are you expecting them to be in the title mix this season? Um, because I, I, it's a it's a difficult one because like. 
we as fans, we sit here every season and say um, that City are going to be in the mix because that's how life is these days under Guardiola. The, the only year that they weren't, Liverpool ran away with it. And if Liverpool weren't running away with it to the extent that they were, City were probably going to be in the title mix. So I, 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 are you expecting Arsenal to be City's nearest challengers again? Um, nearest challengers is a really difficult one to predict for this upcoming season, I think. Um they were a surprise package in how they sort of ran away with the league in the early parts of last season. In fact, for the like sort of first two thirds of the season. Um, but Dom's absolutely right. There were mental scars there. They they bottled it, plain and simple. And they're riding that wave of emotion to the point where they're putting too much pressure on themselves, I think. Um, they've all of a sudden kind of decided that they want to be in the title conversation again and that Arteta's the man to kind of do that. And they've sort of manifested themselves into, you know, buying the biggest players that they can. They bought Jesus and Zinchenko from us last year, proven uh, title winners. Um, they've gone out and, and kind of usurped City to Declan Rice's signing. Um, apart from Havertz, it looks as if they've had a, a pretty good window. I don't, I don't, I agree with Dom. I don't see what the the point in him is really. Um, but I think emotionally and psychologically, they need to get themselves in check a little bit. Um, did you see the pictures floating about last week where they were showing the new signing Hank Timber, um, a kind of like blacked out version of the Premier League trophy? And they're like, the one way we can put colour in this is to win it. Um, they, they just seem to be, it's it's like a, it's an unbelievable need to the point where it's, I think it's going to do them damage in the end. They're forgetting about the other teams um, who've been nipping at their heels. Liverpool have strengthened as well. United have strengthened. Chelsea have a decent manager again. It looks like Spurs do too. Um and whilst I'm not saying all those teams will be involved in the title race itself, um, they'll all be seeking to take points off each other. And I think Arsenal need to be a bit careful that they think it's a, um, a done deal. They're going to kind of walk into a, a toe-to-toe battle with City again because every single season, every single circumstance that changes every season um, is different. Yeah, Dom for City. Uh, we'll come to transfers uh, a little bit more later on, but I, I, are there any concerns going into this season that um, City are not quite the force that they were last year? Um, I mean, after you've sort of scaled the mountain, um, as they did, I guess you're always going to fear a bit of a drop off. Um, you know, no team has ever won four in a row. Um, and the, you know the reason for that is hard to motivate and go again. Um, and then also you look at the obviously Harland is a machine who probably scores lots more goals again. But the goals and goal involvements that you lose from Gundian and Mares haven't really been replaced. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about how wonderful Kovacic looked at and has looked in pre-season, but he's not really a like for like for Gundian. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's fair to say. The squad does look a bit weaker, but to, to pick up on what Kieran said, like I've kind of been thinking that yeah, probably City don't do it again. But then if you look at all the the would be sort of pretenders to the throne, I'm not sure there's enough of a leap from any of them to 
to finish Buff City. So it's it's a difficult one because uh, uh, there's also the other thing. I mean, again, we'll talk tra- talk transfers in a bit, but the squad does look small and maybe a little bit too small this year in terms of senior players. But Guardiola does like small squads. I mean, saying Pep's got a small squad is a bit like saying he's bald. It's just it's a thing. <laughs> just the <laughs> truth, yeah. It, I mean, he looks very, very bald at the minute, but um, yeah. nevertheless. I, yeah, it's been a, been a funny summer, hasn't it, in some ways? Yeah. Um, let's talk about what was good then from the Community Shield, because I'm, I'm I'm careful not to kind of go too much of a downer on this in what was a glorified friendly. Um, Dom, you mentioned Kovacic already. Um, he was good, wasn't he? Yeah, it's... He's he's one of those sort of those Croatian midfielders. It's just that that generation that always been great to watch. Obviously, he's a bit younger than Modric and Rakitic and guys like Brozovic. It's just fellas who are properly like see the whole picture on the other. They're sort of three hundred and sixty degree footballers. Lovely touch, lovely technique. Um, it's kind of mad. Guardiola's never had one of these Croatian guys in his team before because that it just looks like such a perfect sort of guy that fits that Guardiola style. And wait, is he the first Croatian that Guardiola's managed? First Croatian midfielder, I think. Okay, um, because I, I mean, I, 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 that's a that's a hell of a question for me to ask you when you've got I, I, absolutely I, I, I no mean, way to research it in this time. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I think he had Mandzukic at Bayern Munich, um, who didn't mm. like him at all. But you know, different strokes for different folks in it. Um, yeah, that's it. He's had a six foot four, um, stick it in the mix of Croatian centre forward, but not a twinkle toed Croatian midfielder, which I think is weird. Um, anyway, so. Yeah, I thought he looked really good. I think he's looked great in all of preseason, particularly sometimes when he played deep in the midfield. More great news for Calvin Phillips' City career, I think. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's interesting because for all that there's this perception, you know, Guardiola likes a team full of midfielders and he signs lots of midfielders, but um, he hasn't really signed someone to play in like the sort of those number eight positions as we call them now since Bernardo Silva in 2017. Um He's saying Gunny was his first guy through the door. De Bruyne and David Silva did that job a lot. Bernardo didn't really play in midfield at all in his first year and then only played there if De Bruyne wasn't there. It, like, it takes an awful long time, it seems, for him to trust guys to get um, for the let-me-talk-drinking game, get the pauser, get all that <laughs> rhythm of the play and all that stuff. He seems to, He's quite precious about letting people in there. You know, A big conversation has been, when's Phil Foden going to move centrally properly if he ever does? Um but here's a guy who he's just brought in and dropped in and seems to like get all of it. I mean, I mentioned David Silva. There's stories about when Pep started at City that he was explaining the concepts and all that to all the players. Um, and the conversation with Silva took about five minutes. Now, I'm not comparing Kovacic to David Silva, but I would imagine it wasn't a particularly long chat with him. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the other player that I thought stood out, uh, Kieran, was um, Stefan Ortega. Uh, I thought he was bloody good. And I'm wondering if there's pressure on Edison, like there's never been pressure on Edison before. Yeah, he was brilliant. And to be honest with you, every time I've seen him play for City, he has been so impressive. Um, to think about where we got him from, it was a, it was a free transfer from a relegated Bundesliga team, wasn't it? Yeah, Armenia Bielefeld, I believe. Like, <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. That was just noise. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was I was thinking I'm going to give myself away embarrassingly here by not knowing the name of the team, but um, it's a pointless answer from Dom. There are things like, <laughs> um, yeah, but what, like, what a bargain to, to pick up him and the Kanji last year. Um, 
sort of out of nowhere really relatively kind of like um on the down low and for them to prove their worth so well anytime they're called upon um it's just it's just brilliant The, the the funny thing is about ortega is that as a footballer he reminds me of ederson when they pass out from the back I mean, obviously, he doesn't have that kind of like Ooh, range, yeah, that yeah. kind of like uh, heart in your mouth, um, s- sort of way that the Edison has sometimes. Where what, what you mean is a normal human being instead of <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah, most relaxed freak on the planet. Yeah, yeah, that might be it. Yeah, um, but but then at the same time, Edison has these moments where he's he's tempted to lose his head um so he's this mad paradox in that he's so relaxed when kicking the ball back when kicking the ball about at the back uh and then every so often there's just a head loss in terms of like being a goalkeeper and using his hands and communicating with his back four um, well, all, all of that said i'm wondering like you think back to the back end of last season and um the performance edison puts in in the champions league final oh. is a champions league final winning performance and well that's it so I'm wondering your question if, about yeah i'm wondering if that is down to ortega being there yeah yeah well that's it um i i seem to recall would if you remember the old pellegrini trick when joe hart was going through a dip and he brought in um Pantilliman, like all of a sudden it gave the kick it gave Joe Hart the sort of kick up the arse that he needed at the time. Um, and this is the first proper challenge to Ederson's place and status that there's been since he arrived, I think. Um, who have we had? Caballero? Was he there? Yeah, it's a funny way to pronounce it, though. I've never heard it, I've never heard <laughs> yeah. it said like that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of thinking and pronouncing at the same time. Uh, bravo. Um, Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's another, that's a terrible uh, job. But Murich, who Zach Stefan, there was just um, yeah, they were never really going to challenge them. So Ortega has got so much of what Ederson has in his game, but also is is an amazing shot stopper and a very very calm head. But then you look at what as as you've just said, David, what that has encouraged and brought out of Ederson can only be a positive thing because. It was probably his best all-time performance in the Champions League final, and what a time and what a stage to leave your your masterpiece performance to. Yeah, um, Dom. The other the other player that stood out was uh, City's goal scorer Cole Palmer. Um, what what chance do you think he has this season of being? I'm not going to say the Mares replacement, but being an option to replace Mares. Hmm, well, if you look at the game in isolation. He was the Mara's replacement, and I found that encouraging. Obviously, the goal itself is encouraging, but the, there's two types of sort of young players on the bench that Guardiola tends to have, and it's like, do you become Rico Lewis, who is genuinely involved, or are you a 3-0 up, come on for a kickabout guy, which Palmer generally was last season, Sergio Gomez was, and and, and those lads. Um, but coming on more, at nil, More nil, great nil, news like, for Calvin Phillips' City career is that he's not one of them either. <laughs> Yeah, but he's too old to be a young lad, isn't he? Um, yeah, sorry, Calvin. Yeah, so um, he came on at nil-nil. Like, what, if Maras was still there, you imagine Maras would have come on when Palmer came on. So that was that felt like a good little show of faith. He was obviously really bright. Coming on around the time Phone and De Bruyne did was when City had their best creative period of the game with their best creative midfielders on, and he scored a brilliant goal, but... So that's all great. But I think if you look at the noises around it, like, um, you know, this is a summer when Guardiola's like basically been going, 
you know, laying on two-hour sushi dinners to convince Kyle Walker to stay. And the, you know, it's where there's been a little bit of a crack in that if you bring us an offer, you can leave. They've worked really, really hard to keep a couple of guys that didn't want to go. Palmer, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. And in Guardiola speak, I don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes means I don't really care what's going to happen. And, mm. you know, he's not that invested in it. Because on the preseason tour, you know, McAtee and Bob were playing and you know, probably got more minutes than Palmer. So, and Brighton have been linked to him. Obviously, he's been suggested with these these Lucas Pacatar rumours. He's been suggested as a make-weight at West Ham. So, I think it might be a case of transfer soon come for goal. Yeah, make make weight such a horrible term, isn't it? It's like the, you're literally just ballast. That's what you are. It's absolute transfer guff as well, and I'm sorry yeah. I slipped into it. <laughs> Sky did like one of the really old-fashioned ones about Luke's Pacatar saying he'd had his head turned by City, like, yes. like he's an owl or something. It's like what's all that about? Yeah. Um, the other the other thing with uh, Palmer is uh, Adam Carter, uh, who was a quick peek behind the curtain, was supposed to be on this uh, to the show. Uh, but uh, decided to go to the cricket instead. Um, not he, even proper cricket. Yeah, not even proper cricket. Uh, he uh, he would kill me now if I don't mention that uh, Cole Palmer is the City player that scored in the most competitions without having scored in the Premier in the in the league for for City in the Premier League or Football League. Um, Given his quotes, so yeah, good. he's now hit uh, he's now hit five competitions that he scored in, and not one of them is the league. So uh, that's so, yeah. amazing. Five, um, yeah. What are those then? Uh, well, I mean, uh, why would you ask me when you could uh, you could go on to statscity.co.uk and find out? And it's definitely <laughs> not because I don't know the answer. A very little quick post-edit correction coming up now um, because I, of course, got this stat wrong. Cole Palmer has not scored in five competitions without having scored in the domestic league. That would be impossible. Uh, he scored in four competitions, but he has scored five goals, which is the most by any City player without having scored in the domestic league. You can see where I got it wrong. It will, of course, become five competitions when he scores in the Super Cup on Wednesday night. By the way, it didn't go viral like his last one, but another brilliant Palmer interview after the game, by the way. Did you see that? I'd not seen it, what did no. you say? <laughs> right, so um, it was the fellow... And talking of, like, I, you just pulled me up on using, like, football guff. So the guy who was interviewing for ITV, so I presume, would have been Gabriel Clark. And um, so he spoke to him about the game and, you know, you know, at this point, it's got a goal, wanted to win, blah, blah, blah. Second question was like, because he'd had a shot before he, he scored his goal. Gabriel Clark goes, you had a bit of a sighter, didn't you? And he went, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so good. But then you think, you're a 21-year-old kid from Manchester. It's like, him and his mates aren't talking about sighters, like they're all John Motson, are they? So, yeah, but it was a, it's, um, I think it's still on ITV's Twitter. It's, yeah. Oh, I, I'd like that. to see more of him for City or someone else, just so he does post-match interviews, because he's, He's got no filter at all. Yeah, give him yeah. man of the match every week because then he has to do them. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Kieran, before we move on, uh, I want to give you your credit because uh, you you deserve to go into the dictionary for uh, dubbing what happens at the end of games now giant stoppage time. Um, <laughs> is this is it sour grapes or is there a legitimate grumble with eight added minutes at the end of a game? Given that City and Arsenal are probably the two teams in the country at the moment that are actually trying to keep the ball in play as much as they can. Um. It's certainly not sour grapes because, do you mean with reference to the result? Yeah, yeah. 
Because City no. were winning that until, yeah. until the 111th no, minute. I, I don't think it could be Sargrace because I, I literally don't care about the, about the community <laughs> shield. So when I check myself there and go, am I just annoyed because City lost? Then no, I, I'm not. It's it's a just, I don't like change anyway. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> as, as a person. But change in football when there are so many other issues that kind of aren't getting sorted first. Um, change that seems unnecessary, change that is trying to be a solution to a problem that does exist, but is going around it just a, a completely kind of bonkers way. Yeah. Is um, there any reason why you need to add on eight minutes? Could you not just start booking players for time wasting early? That's it. That's yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. The amount of times, yeah. the amount of frustrations there's been, particularly at the Etihad, where um, and we sit behind the goal so we can see it very, very clearly. Like the keepers take all day to get the balls back off the ball, boys, or to pick the ball back up from behind the net. Um, that like Newcastle the... games at 8 pm kickoff. That's not going to finish till after midnight, is it? Well, that's it. Yeah. And people like one of the easy kind of retorts from um, Twitter noises is if you love your team enough, it doesn't matter. Like, You'll stay till the end regardless. And like that's absolutely fair. I kind of get that. But, I mean, everybody's got homes to get to and trains to catch. And you, you were put, cutting it fine anyway from an 8 o'clock kickoff. Saturday night, 8 o'clock kickoff is mad. And then if they're going to add 8, 10, 12 minutes on at the end, when they could just be booking players for time-wasting and they could try and they could be trying to cut out feigning injuries and uh, kind of methodical you know, the keeper going down in half an hour with cramp or whatever it is that they, they're up to nowadays, you know. Um, I get that the ball in play, the, the ball isn't in play as much as we would like to think or hope. Um, teams are taking the piss with it all. But it just feels like the play... I mean, tiniest violin in the world for the players, but, like, th- their season and their games are going to be extra long now too. The fans are going to be around. Think of the staff who have to stay you know, much later to tidy up after everybody leaves. It's it's just there seems to be a solution to a problem that hasn't really been figured out when there are so many other issues. Uh, like people still aren't people still haven't got their head around VAR and there are still massive, massive mistakes with the officiating that way. And then they've launched these new protocols, initiatives, directives and like it's gonna just make things even worse for them. Like, um, I, I, it's just too many people. It just feels like too many cooks are really spoiling the broth here. And instead of just keeping it simple, um, and actually consulting fans or players or managers, it just feels like these kind of suits or um, officials are are kind of making decisions without actually thinking of contingency plans and thinking, but what if this happens and what if this happens and what if that means that it's just like one decision seems to be slapped on the table and everybody goes for it. And then they, the consequences come along later when everybody kind of gets back to the game and goes, this isn't working. And so, yeah, no, definitely not sour grapes to go back to your question. Um, Just, just something that I, I don't really like the idea of. Maybe it will, you know, if time wasting stops becoming an issue, maybe we can get back to three or four minutes or whatever. But um, I just don't see this being good for anybody, really. 
Yeah, I, I can't see Dom if that if that game had been three nil at the point of stoppage time came up. I can't see them adding eight minutes in in that instance. I, like it's it's one of them where it only becomes a thing when the game's really tight, and that doesn't really seem. I mean, I guess that'll probably benefit City more often than not, but you know, it's just it just doesn't feel like that like a solution like the right solution. Yeah, I mean, but it's the shining new thing, so they they would have added eight minutes regardless. And if City were three nil up, it would have been like been a different kind of shit. It, you know, it's it's the new thing. Like there was that there was that season. I think Guardiola's first one actually at City when every shirt pull in the penalty area was a penalty and then they decided, hang on, this is rubbish. And there are like so many of these new things that are introduced. Like you heard Guardiola and De Bruyne and then Rafael Varane, uh, and he put a long statement out about it um, the day after the game, all saying that like we haven't been consulted about this. We just got told this is what's happening now. And it's like, why not consult with players about it? Saw- those, those are the people playing the game, yeah. those are the people who understand the game. I saw um, the response to Varane, uh, where somebody had said, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody had, had quoted Varane's tweet and said, um, just get the play, the ball in play quicker and you won't add all that time on it. It's like, well, I'm only responsible for 50% of that. The other team is part of this as well. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, so, so if you're you're playing against a team who have time-wasted loads and loads and then they concede, they then get... They then get 15 minutes to have a go and equaliser. So that, that's rubbish as well. So that's it's rhythm with problems. It's another one of these things... Like, you know, maybe well-intentioned, you know, because people don't like time-wasting. People don't like time-wasting. But like you said, just book the players. No one asked for, you know, giant extra time. People don't like, you know, penalties not being given for round ball. No one wanted pl- defenders jumping around like salmon, like they haven't with their arms behind them. <laughs> people yeah. don't like offside. Got, people don't like a complicated offside rule. No one asked for goals like the one United scored in the derby last year. It's all, all of these things... Uh, it's unintended consequences. To, yeah, yeah, they're solutions to problems that no one ever thought were problems. You know, mm. armpit offsides would be the fa- the infamous armpit offsides would be another one. It's like it's all it's all part of this. It's probably it's this this idea of like responding to what you know what the powers that be perceive that fans want, and your know, people want this and they want that, and that, you know, and yeah, it starts off with a truth of what people want, but then it, it ends up such a mess. It's 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 the rule it's the rule making equivalent of that of that car that Homer Simpson designs with a massive horn on the top and it's just all a massive mess. But like all the composite parts are things that blokes like on cars, but it's a shambles when it's done. I've just and- realised have we become three old men grumbling about how football used to be better in our day. <laughs> yeah, but I've just done it with a Simpsons reference, so I'm cool. Um, yeah. but, but no, that, that point, though, in, 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 listen, I I've, I was always someone who was like a pretty strong VAR advocate. People that go, oh, it's part of the game. It's like, I'd rather decisions weren't shit. It's not part hmm. of the game. But one of the reasons football is so universally popular, speaking as someone who is you know, also a big cricket fan, football's dead easy to understand. And it has it flows, and because it flows, it has imperfections. You keep driving to make the game perfect. It never has been perfect. You end up with these absurd outcomes, and this like massive, extra, massive chunks of injury time is just the latest one. And yeah, it it isn't sour grapes because as Kieran says, it doesn't really matter. I actually thought it was quite funny when after because it was it was injury time added on to the injury <laughs> time because. On that, by the way, when we talk about player welfare, Kyle Walker and Thomas Partey suffer head injuries then at a point mm. when they shouldn't have even been on the pitch. Yeah. Mm. So it was added time to the added time. So it's stupid. And yeah. it's not so great because City will benefit from this probably more than most teams because they keep the ball better than anyone else. And then if people do get the ball in play quicker, which is the aim, 
that's going to be ha- absolute salad days for City and Guardiola. But it's just rubbish. Don't that Alvarez booking was nonsense as well, if you remember, when he kind of he, he kicked the ball in the touch and was booked for kicking the ball away. It's but, particular nonsense when they're doing like the multi-ball thing. So yeah, there was a, yeah. there was a ball boy there waiting for so it, it literally wasted all the time. But yeah, so we're, we're handing out bookings for that, but we're not going to hand out bookings for actual time wasting. And it's it's just it's a directive that allows refs just refs can just defer to the directive rather than making any decisions and kick the can down the road until we play for another ten minutes. I, I just it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, what's what would football's equivalent of the Duckworth Lewis method be, Dom? Um, that makes sense though. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not getting into that conversation. I don't um, really understand it. So, uh, and I know Kieran is the big cricket fan. He is um, is, uh, is keen it's for us to move on. Stern now, anyway. Oh, oh is it? Is it? Yeah. yeah. My mistake. I didn't Sorry. even understand those words you just said. That's how. Um, <laughs> someone from Armenia, Belia felt came up with it. um one final quick question on the community shield uh kieran um penalties uh still beyond harland not city's forte uh the only question i've got is why did bernardo never take one during the great penalty troubles of 2019 it was a decent finish though oh it was a great finish yeah um maybe it's his new kind of like Scally alter ego that's got him uh, <laughs> with his head being shaved that's got him uh, fired up to take pens. Um, the way Arsenal were celebrating, you know, as if as if they'd won something amazing, it just made me think. Rodri has completely gone from hero to zero by scoring in the Champions League final and then missing a penalty in the community <laughs> shield. <laughs> if there's that level of importance placed in the competition all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, Rod- Rodri should never be allowed near a penalty again, should he? That's oh, the thing. I know. <laughs> yeah, so terrible. It was really, really similar to the one he scored against Spurs, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so he shouldn't be allowed. He nearly scored from the halfway line the game after scoring the win in the Champions League final. Oh, man. You forgot about you that. Can't, you oh, can't God, be he's such a hero, like isn't he? Like, scene yeah Yeah. Um, (laughs) god i hope he does something mad against burnley um let's talk about the burnley game uh we'll start the discussion about real football uh with uh, a chat with a burnley fan i've been speaking to podcaster kevin robinson to find out more about their preparations for the coming season i don't think you know you could possibly have much of a better way to uh, to go up than we did so going into the season with as about as positive um, mindset as you, as you can have obviously we the whole of last season was phenomenal the end of last season was phenomenal we've had a a really positive summer we've brought in some really good players um, on the pitch it's been a positive summer off the pitch with lots of exciting people involved in the club and I've been you know watching Burnley for, for a while now I've been around two promotion seasons um, three promotion seasons even uh, a kind of Europa League season but yeah I, I genuinely can't remember a time where there's been so much intrigue excitement positivity it's a really exciting time to be a to be a Burnley fan yeah I, how I mean how does it compare to what do you think of the of, of your Premier League seasons uh, previously under under Sean Dyche and then uh, what culminated in the relegation season there's there's something to be said isn't there about going down and battering the championship for a year and coming back up yeah it, it's one of those things that fans only ever say after you've been relegated but um just as a neutral I think the championship for me is is the best football league in the world I think you've got that balance of genuinely like really high quality while being a lot more competitive than, than the Premier League is. Obviously the Premier League is essentially two leagues. You've got the the top kind of six or seven and then the rest of it. But yeah, you know, you look at the 
the mood even before the relegation. We'd had like ten years of uh, of Sean Dyche football, which was obviously successful, but had its its own its own style. We've had what like four or five years of just standing still in the Premier League and and knowing what we were getting every week and every season, both in terms of the style of football, but also just where we're going to end up, where what results are going to be, and going down having the season we had, but. Not just that, but I think it was a it was a massive reset on so many levels, and the change the club has had in the last twelve months is absolutely unreal, and that feeds into everything. And yeah, whether that scale of change, both in terms of how the club is run, but also the the footballing side of it, and that excitement and the the buzz around everything, whether that would have been the same if we kind of stayed up and and not had this year in the championship to yeah have that bit of a cultural reset, a style reset, a positivity reset. I don't know if it was all I know is that the last 12 months have been absolutely incredible and I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Yeah, and uh, obviously you've got uh, Vincent Company in charge who, you know, there's not a City fan in the world who's got a bad word to say about him. Um, he did he did seem to have you into pre-season a lot, a lot earlier than I expected though. I mean, if reports are to believe, you started pre-season four days before City played the Champions League final. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. I think company described it as a a pre pre season. Our league season finished about a month before your league season finished. Well, your competitive season finished at least. Sorry, so it's a long time to have the players not doing much. So they were in very early. Yeah, it's it's it was very strange to see pre season starting while the, the current season had not officially finished, but. That that's it's it's real company, right? He's he's just so focused, and he's he doesn't really get distracted by anything. He's he's full on work ethic and and putting hours and hours and hours into everything, and it really is indicative of company's approach. And like I said, I'm sure you guys saw that uh, when he was you. I'm, I'm sure uh, I remember hearing you know he would he would stay behind a trainer and and speak to Pep and look at watch kind of recordings of the previous matches while everyone had gone home. So. I think what he's doing now is exactly what he's doing as a, as a player as well. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously that relationship with Pep was huge while he was at City. Um, we saw last season in the Championship that his style of football wasn't too dissimilar to, to Guardiola as well. How how do you expect that will develop this season? Because it's it, it might be a different challenge coming up into the Premier League and, and trying to keep going with that. Yeah, I think we, we I can't remember who it was, but somebody shared like a really in-depth st- like statistical Look at, at how Burnley played, and it was you. You looked at it side by side with Cities, and it was it was very similar, but with our with our own style and his, his own stamp in it as well. And it's it's going to be really interesting because I think actually teams who've come up and played good possession football have tended to do all right in the Premier League in, in the last few years. So I think that that stands us in good stead. At the same time. Obviously, we saw when we played you guys last season, there were challenges to that. I think we played we played United um, in the Cup and got beat, but actually played really well against them. And for the first half, we were by far the better team and probably deserved to be ahead. And that was quite a tight defeat. Whereas when we played you guys, as we as we often tend to do, we got um, we got demolished. So we can compete in some games, but it's also very different being from being the best team in the Championship to being one of the one of the weakest in the Premier League. So and the City game showed that. So it is going to have to adapt. You look at the players we've brought in and there doesn't seem to be any particular change in the style of play we've brought in. It's still 
very much the same profile players we bring in this summer to what we've had last season. So I don't think I don't think he's going to stray too much from from what he did last season. We might just need that extra little bit of grit and steel at times, which inevitably is going to be needed in in more challenging games. But I really do feel like from everything we've seen so far, and, and also precedents set by other some teams, I think I think we're going to go out there and and, and play pretty similar to what we did last season. Yeah, and of course, um, you, you look at. Certainly, the in in terms of uh, of a style of play and and where you're at after preseason, um, you know, we we saw in the Community Shield, City are still doing their thing where they approach a season quite slowly and you know takes them a couple of weeks of the of the league campaign. Um, if you're flying high with confidence and flying high with um with with, with your preparations for the season, um, there I mean there is a good chance of this being a really good game, isn't there? Yeah, whatever the result is, I think it will be a really good game. You got two teams that want to play like really exciting football. Two teams off the back of phenomenal seasons. You know, you look at a recipe book for what a great game is. You got it's the first game of the season, always exciting. You've got two teams coming off the back of kind of historic seasons, really exciting. Night game as well that always plays into it. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. You've got the emotional connection between kind of the, the two managers and, and and all of that. You've got the champions versus the team that has just come up from the, like you put all these things into a recipe pot of what will can make a, a really exciting fixture. And you, this is probably exactly what comes out of your end of it. So yeah, look as a, as a as a as a as a fan wanting to get points for board. I look at the the start of our season. It's probably not realistically uh, the chances of that. This is probably statistically. The, the lowest chance of, of getting that. But there's always a chance we're going to be coming in full of confidence. You know, you never know what happens at the start of the season. But either way, you know, whatever happens on the pitch, it's uh, it's, it's it's an exciting start to a Premier League. And that's, that's why we're here, right? Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times uh, the transfer business you've done over the summer. Uh, there's one name in particular that uh, I want to ask you about, and it's in goal, uh, because James Trafford obviously came in from City. There was a big uh, hoo-ha about the transfer fee. And then, um, I mean, he goes and, goes and proves himself with a crucial penalty save in, a, in an England final. So it's uh, he's he's an exciting one, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Um it's an interesting position goalkeeper because obviously we had uh, we had Murich uh, again from from you guys uh, last season and I think like the first half of the season he was he made a lot of Burnley fans very uncomfortable he was um, very good with his feet almost a midfielder really but not particularly convincing in goal I think you asked any Burnley fan at Christmas does Murich play in the Premier League and I don't think anyone would have would have said yes. Um, he actually had a really strong second half of the season. And I think actually it won a lot of fans over by the end. And I don't think anyone really expected us to go in for a goalkeeper this summer. Having said that, look, I think he, he struggled under pressure at times last season and company subbed him off twice when he after he made mistakes. And when that happened, probably even the first time that happened, that was probably the right number one from Urich. And bringing in Trafford, he, he, he seemed really excited. I think Trafford's stats alone are phenomenal in that in terms of like the clean sheets he kept in a row last season, the goals conceded, you know, his performances for England over the summer, you know, he seems a lot much more rounded player. So yeah, it's 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 really exciting to get over the line obviously it's uh again it's it's a question mark not question marks of it, but just intrigue. I I said intrigue the word intrigue a few times, but you know, our record signing is someone who's never played above League One, which is bizarre. But everything, everything you see about him is he's he's hugely exciting. I know that 
company went to see him play several times last season. I know like, at least four or five times he was he was over there watching him. So, you know, he he was obviously convinced. And we've had a pretty good record at Burnley with goalkeepers with uh, Tom Heaton and Nick Pope. So let's let's add another one to the list. Yeah. Um, I also want to ask you about uh, one player who won't be there next season because Ashley Barnes has ended his, um, well, the, the club ended his nine-year stay uh, with not renewing his contract. Um, it's, it's that feel like it's kind of like the right time, but it's it's one of those that is, you know, saying goodbye to a club legend. Oh, don't you? Making my heart skip a beat just uh, <laughs> just, just, uh, just say, talking about him. Look, I follow one footballer on Instagram and it's Ashley Barnes. He's just an, an incredible figure of a club and Genuinely, over the summer, like I say, once a week, I watched his when we had the you know the the kind of the trophy parade in Burnley a few days after we won the title, and he had his little speech on the on the in the town hall, and all the fans behind him singing, "You'll always be a Claret." He's turning around saying, "Yes, I'll always be a Claret." And like the, the I genuinely watched that about once a week over the summer. Like it's real, like kind of goosebumps. It was difficult seeing him go at the end of last season because he's, like I say, it's just been a massive part of what what Burnley is. And he was probably our best player in the second half of last season. So it's it's strange to, in a way, to release the player who's been the best player for the last few months. But again, it's a bit of ruthlessness, I guess, from from company again. But doing that role in the championship. Uh, you know, in, in your 30s is very different to the young side that the company's trying to build and the players we've got to replace him in the forward line now are, are much younger, have got the careers ahead of them and it's, it's it's again, you know, it would have been very easy to give him another year and say, look, give us that experience in the Premier League but go trust when, when company says, look, yeah, that's all great but we want to build for the future and build a squad that is going to be uh, around for the next kind of five, ten years then... Yeah, that's super exciting. So, genuinely, like, incredibly sad to see him go. But companies building building a squad for the future, and, and realistically, does Barnes fit into that as a person? Probably yes. And I'd love to see him come back in a couple of years as a involved in the club in some way. But does he fit into that on the pitch? Um, when you look at the the dynamic of a squad, companies building probably not. I'm not going to say it's the right time for him to move on because my heart can't allow me to say that. <laughs> um, but what company's doing is really exciting and as, as much as things like that can be disappointing and, and, and hard to take at times, it's um, it, it's going to stand in really good stead, I think. Yeah, if he could, uh, if company though could just hold off that that building for the first week of the season, I'd be quite happy. Um, <laughs> Kevin, let's so have we've, you. We've not, we've not got a left back at the moment, so uh, oh, join we, the club. Yeah. Right. <laughs> join the club. We've not we've not done left backs in years. Um, <laughs> uh, Kevin, let's have a have a prediction for uh, the charity bet a bit later on. What score are you going for for this one? Um, my head. The logistical thing is to say City are City going to win this, but um, first game of the season, like I say, it's really positive around the club. So I'm going to come in and say we're going to go ahead. Maybe not quite pick it up for a win, but we're going to draw. Going to get one or draw. Lovely. Well, I tell you what, the one thing I always say uh, at the start of a season before the fixtures are announced, the one thing I don't want is a newly promoted team away from home in the first couple of games because they're the ones that are really tricky. And uh, we couldn't have had we couldn't have had a worse opening day for that in that regard. So uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't have had much of a worse. Join <laughs> 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 the club. <laughs> Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. 
That was Kevin Robinson talking to me about Burnley's preparations for the coming season. Um, Don, we kind of touched on it before. Um, are City going to be ready for this game? Um, they they like to be ready a few weeks into the season. And as I was chatting to Kevin, I was just kind of realising that Burnley have been ready for about five months. <laughs> yeah, c- companies have them in training before they all found out. Games are going to be 15 minutes longer, so <laughs> that might backfire. Um, yeah, well, is so before the Arsenal game, so before the Community Shield, Guardiola was saying that because City's season had obviously been gloriously elongated, they were two weeks behind Arsenal in their preparation. I mean, so you would think that's maybe a bit of a factor again because they're a little bit further behind Burnley. And uh, yeah, I think obviously they'll be right up for it. It's their first game back up. Um, there's the company factor. Uh, yeah, it's um, there's prob- there'd probably be easier things to do on the first weekend. But I mean... At the same time, I think City be pretty confident they're getting the job done. Yeah, I mean, City took Burnley apart last season, Kieran. Uh, can you read anything into that? Because uh, at that time, Burnley were flying high as well. They, it, it's not like it, it's not like um, Burnley were kind of sneaking over the line to promotion. They were running away with the championship by the point that, that City took them apart. Yeah, um, it, it's a weird one actually because you're absolutely right. I remember being kind of nervous about that game. Um, with the company factor and, and w- with those exact ideas about how high they were flying um, and they were on their way back up again, you know, with with months to spare, really. Um, so they they definitely looked like a club with pe- Premier League pedigree at the time we were playing them and then we absolutely demolished them. Um, Haaland was just in full fighting form by then and, and so were City, really. Um, wasn't that the week he scored, like... Eight goal, eight goals in two games or something was it? When he's, I think he scored five against Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, um, and he, I don't really want to bring this up on the podcast because it really, really opens myself up to you know looking foolish here. But here we I'm, go. I'm, well, I'm just ever so slightly <laughs> concerned about Haaland and his and his dr- drought. Um, hat trick time there we go yeah well that's it exactly <laughs> yeah you could literally just play this next week when he gets four goals against Burnley um, but yeah I don't know if it's I don't know if it's confidence or um, maybe just like he was knackered come the end of things but um, I think I said this on the show before he, when he gave that penalty to Gundogan against Leeds yeah Leeds, Leeds. yeah for, and um, your pronunciation tonight is incredible. No, it is. I know, but I'm slowing. Th- I'm slowing things up. Is there a time dilation problem here? Are, are you operating on the other side of a wormhole or something? But Dom did exactly what I wanted there and finished it off for me by confirming that I was actually right. So, um, yeah. So after he got bollocked by Guardiola for giving Gundo in the penalty, um. I don't know if he's been the same player. Like, uh, he's only scored once since, and that was against Everton. Um, and I'm, I'm slightly concerned. Nobody else is concerned because he's amazing and he's a machine, and um, there's no real reason to be worried when you know that he's that he's got attributes that nobody in world football has. Like, um, but I just want him to find his form sort of sooner rather than later. Really. Um, I wonder, you know, if it's if it's a little bit of uh, coincidence in that, as you say, towards the back end of last season, he's had a long season. Things are starting to get a bit 
tired, the legs are yeah. getting a bit heavy, that sort of thing. And yeah. then you combine it with preseason, the start of this season is just get into fitness. So it's yeah. like it's like of the curve. Like he's he's in a he's in a trough at the moment, but that doesn't that's mean it. that the peak isn't very soon on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely it. But to link it to your question about is there anything to read into the Burnley game last year when he was so fire and fit and in like incredible form, form that's never been seen before, really. Um, you know, you had that had a little bit more confidence about playing Burnley slightly because you just you felt that Haaland could just turn up and do do madness um, and at the moment I just don't know if he's at full peak fitness and you know as you say he is in his trough but I, I, I'm fully I'm fully hands up admitting that this could backfire um, tremendously for me and he could you know he could surpass even last year's crazy records and he could turn up on Friday night and, and demolish Burnley um, because he has it in him for sure but just I would be ever so slightly less confident about this game than I was last year, even though I believe I said in this answer that I wasn't confident last year either. <laughs> so the, yes, the, the, <laughs> don't the, have me in the show again. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the direction you took round the houses then is like honestly, like if somebody was following you, they'd be going, what, "Where is this guy going?" Um, <laughs> Do you know why that is? It's because I was so afraid to say in kind of like black and white, if you like that I was worried about Haaland's form because, it, it, you know, you could just look so foolish from it. Like, it's a real famous last words thing to say. Yeah. To, um, to me, right, it feels like a grasp for the old comfort blanket of City-itis that... Maybe, it's re- maybe. It's really hard to bang on about that stuff now when you've won a treble. So it's like, yeah. how, how do we get there? So, yeah, yeah. You, you, you've got it a shot. Yeah. You have so, to yeah. do a monger a little bit, don't you, when, even when everything's <laughs> absolutely perfect. Like, yeah. Um, team news time, Dom. Um Foden for a central role, maybe he's been he's been one that fans certainly want to see there. Um, I'm just wondering, with the lack of options on the wing, whether he's actually going to get still stuck out on the wing. Yeah, I, I think he's. I, I mean, stuck out on the wing, maybe, but also I think if Foden played on the right wing for a season, he could be the right, best right winger in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, Foden admits. So there was the, the reaction to the the Lucas Pakatar links that came out. A lot of negativity from City fans from that seems to stem around. But what about folding in midfield? And yeah, everyone wants to see that. Maybe crucially, apart from Guardiola. Um, and I think I think the fact that he came on in the Champions League final in that position and was fabulous. If he'd scored that- the one-on-one in the Champions League final, or if he'd scored against Arsenal when he was when he ran through the middle, would that change Guardiola's mind a bit? Um. I think if he scored the one in the Champions League final, everyone might have just run out of the stadium and gone straight to town. So <laughs> <laughs> that would have been something to uh, to absorb. Um, it is a bit weird how his, his finishing does seem to have. He was a very instinctive finisher early on, wasn't he? Um, and it wasn't as good last season, um, which I think I would trace back to when you know, the, it, there was that. I think it might be the first home game against Bournemouth where. He should have squared it to Haaland and didn't and shot wide. Then it was like, oh, when's he going to pass to Haaland? And then a couple of games later, when he assisted one of the goals in Haaland's hat trick against Palace, Haaland was like uh, putting on Instagram, oh, finally, Phil, thanks for that. <laughs> that only became a bit of a thing. So, and that was all fun and games. But I do think that presence of having Haaland there has made, and that isn't applicable to those two chances we're talking about. But I think that did bring a 
I think he has started thinking in the penalty area a bit, which sometimes isn't a great thing. You know, his best goal of last season was that um, it's either the first time finish, which is instinctive against United, um, or when he dribbles in from the right wing against Newcastle. And yeah. I think that's where you need in this year. I mean, I really like the idea of Phil Foden in centre of the field for City, for City and for England. He's incredibly talented. But because of the, the power element and one in control, Guardiola isn't going to play him and De Bruyne as the two attacking midfielders in the same team. It's just not going to happen. And I think a lot of people thought he was going to play there because De Bruyne was likely to be out at the start of the season. He's recovered, he's recovered quickly, so that isn't an option. I honestly think the the right hand side, particularly if they're going to sign Pakatar, looks like where the opening is. Your know, City will need to fill in that goals and assists void that Mahrez has left, and I think Foden's the guy capable of doing that. Um, I mean, it's sacrilege. I'm going to annoy a lot of people because I know everyone wants to see him midfield, but yeah, Guardiola said he sees his future in midfield, but and he says he can play five positions, but he's always said that about Foden, and he's still saying the thing about the defensive side of his game. So. If that's the case, and you've got guys like Kovacic and Bernardo, maybe Pakatar, who can do that better, then I think why not go the right? You know, right wing is his shirt this year. Just go and rip it up. Dom, you sound like you know more about Pakatar than I do, and maybe some of the of the other listeners. Like, what is it that we would be looking for if that signing went through? Um, he's a really nice. He, 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 See, I wonder if, you know, say we were saying earlier that Guardiola doesn't really sign midfielders and just chuck them in. I wonder if the fact that Kovacic has worked so well, that's made him think, oh, let's go for this again. Because he's not, he's not a, a similar type of player to Kovacic, but he does also tick a lot of those Guardiola boxes, have been technically very good, keeps the ball well, nice little short passes. He's a good dribbler. He, he would probably be, because if you think back to the end of last season, a lot of people saying Kovacic is Gundian's replacement. They were going to do Kovacic anyway, and then mm. Gundian left. Yeah. yeah. Basically, Pakatar would be more of the Gundian replacement. He would be getting a little bit more further forward. Um, you know, he starts for Brazil, and let's like, say in the World Cup with Brazil, he was playing both like as a very attacking midfielder, like alongside Neymar. And then if Neymar went and was playing further up front, he would tuck in and sort of play um, next to Casemiro holding. And like that's the sort of thing that. Um, you know, that sounds very Gundian, doesn't it? Can sort of mm-hmm. do both of those things. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the shorthanded version of it would be he would be the actual Gundian replacement, whereas if he doesn't come in, the Gundian replacement is a bit of Kovacic, a bit of Bernardo, a bit of Foden. Yeah. Um, Kieran, for uh, the defensive side of things going to Burnley, um, knowing that Burnley are not the sort of rough and tumble team that they used to be and that they're going to get it down and play it a little bit more under under Vincent Company, um, I, I'm I, I'm wondering who you want in the back four um, because obviously City are going with that uh, centre halves at fullback thing again mm-hmm. this season. Um, I'm just wondering, would you would you dare chuck in? Um, I mean, we're talking about Croatians. Uh, you know, you, all of a sudden Guardiola's got another one in the squad now with Guardiola. Mm-hmm. Um, who, by the way, the most boring man on the planet? Would you chuck him in? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, if you're going to make your Premier League debut, do it on a Friday night under the lights at Turf Moor. Um, <laughs> what, what what could be more glamorous than that? Uh, yeah, I, I mean... Better than watching a movie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, or eating chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, the the only thing is, 
I'm trying to work out the whole of the back four because we are so overly abundant in defenders. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. And if you think to yourself, you know, um, maybe I'll leave out him in place of Gordial, then you realise that. So I would obviously like John Stones to play because I love him and he's brilliant. Um, so maybe Guardiola on the left, Stones and Diaz in the middle, and Walker on the right. Mm. Would that make sense? But then you think to yourself, he loves a kanji. Um, is Ake fit? I don't know. Um, but you, you know, you, you don't want these good, solid defenders to be left out. And I still love Laporte, um, but it, it looks as if there's there's no way back for him now in the back four. But um, yeah, it would be nice to see Stones and Diaz playing if Guardiola's going to make his debut because you know they, they for me are the best two and they're the absolute rock. Um, and has Guardiola been signed as a sort of left back? inverted kind of style um, is he going to wander into midfield at some point um, so it, it would be dead interesting and you know maybe company who thinks he's got you know he sort of knows Pep and knows knows the way things will, will pan out or is making a few predictions about what he might see um, Guardiola starting might be the sort of like the curveball the spanner in the works as such so uh, it, it might be a nice place to throw him in yeah. When I interviewed uh, Joe Royal years ago um, and he talked about taking the job on at City and arriving at City, they had uh, 52 professional players at the time. Uh, he, he, he kept saying about how he was going to Platt Lane and then he'd turn a corner and there'd be three other people that he'd completely forgotten were, were, were part of his squad. I just wonder if Guardiola's like that with centre-halves these days. Like yeah. he's, he's, sat, he's, he's sat in the training room, then he turns around and there's another one that he's like, oh God, I've forgotten about you. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about the Super Cup because um, apparently that's the thing that I that's happening uh, that I'd completely forgotten about. Um, and because I'm, again, not really sure how to play this one, um, let me introduce Lambros Sirimos from the Gate 7 International podcast. Hi there, Manchester City fans. My name is Lambros Sirimos from the Gate 7 International podcast. See, I told you that's where he was. Um, he he does a podcast about uh, Olympiacos. This game is being played in Olympiacos' stadium. Uh, so I thought the most interesting thing to do was talk about some things to do with the Olympiacos Stadium. So I'm just going to pepper these in from Lambros throughout the throughout the chat that we have. Um, so let's kick us off. The Kariskaki Stadium was originally built in 1895, a year after City were formed, and demolished and rebuilt again in 2004, facing in the opposite direction, near the water in, in the port. There you go, stadium uh, one year younger than uh, than City, there you go. Um, in 2008, mate, wrong. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was thinking the same. Uh, <laughs> um, in all seriousness, Dom, uh, how much does this game actually matter to Guardiola? Because um, there is there is the Guardiola thing of, you know, got to win every trophy. Yeah, I think it does. Um, because to generalize in Europe, like the Super Cups are more of a big deal than over here. And I, and I think Guardiola does really like the Charity Shield, but he's kind of, he's been, he's been dragged down by our um, general British attitude to it of going, mate, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it matters to him. And I suppose um, from a fan point of view, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Because it's a game that you've never been involved in before. Um, it's a game Sevilla are always involved in because you know death taxes and Sevilla win the Europa League. So <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it will matter to him, and uh, it's uh, yeah, 
is more important than the Charity Shield, but wouldn't we say that now? Now that we've lost. Uh, yeah. well, I, I just be, Before we carry on... Um... Olympiacos play all their home games at the Cariscaki Stadium. There's actually a deal that sees the club lease it and allow Etnikos Piraeas to play there as well. But they don't. Etnikos Piraeas is now in the lower divisions in Greece and hasn't played in Cariscaki Stadium ever, I believe. A ground share without a second tenant. That's interesting. Um... Uh, Karen, Hold on a second, David. Why is this man talking about, about the stadium so much? <laughs> because because I I was just I I basically went onto the Wikipedia page and found a load of interesting things out as I was reading it. So I mean, like, listen to listen. The stadium is known for hosting cinemas in the summer. In two thousand five, it screened the movie Batman Begins. They had they, they, it was a cinema for one summer. That that's just, just got that man on for his gorgeous voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean. Lambros is very smooth. He's been on before. He's very smooth. I, I mean, in Gate Seven, there's 21 seats that are blacked out as a tribute to those who lost their lives in the Karisvaki Stadium disaster. Olympiacos and Ike fans. Yeah, so, uh, so it's, right, a, it's well, a fascinating stadium. Now. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about bringing the mood down there. Um, <laughs> Sevilla were were a bit tricky, Kieran, in the uh, in the Champions League groups last season. Um, what do you reckon to this game? Uh wasn't it like 4-0 and 3-1? It was 4-0 the first leg, which that's why I say a little bit tricky, because the second leg was, I mean, it, it really, really wasn't a good game. Uh, mm. And they, uh, Rafa Mir um, scored like, and w- was causing City problems until City just kind of moved into third gear. Yes, I remember that. Now, was that the game Rico Lewis scored in? I think so, yeah. But yeah, I couldn't was, remember yeah. if that was Borussia Dortmund or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they've always been... They've always been tricky enough on paper, I think, and then City, as you as you sort of allude to, managed to just pick it up a gear and and go for it, uh, and and usually get the win. Um, I, I I quite like them. There's a lot of City links um, between them. Um, I'm excited for this game because we're playing at this stadium, which famously shows cinema. Um, pictures in, in the summer. Well, you say that. I mean, I, I've got another one. We've also seen many different artists come to the Kaji Stadium, including Rihanna, Aerosmith, 50 Cent, Whitesnake, Def Leppard, and the Sex Pistols. They've all performed at the Kaji Stadium in Piraeus. There you go. Didn't know that, that did is, you? That is cool. That is very, very cool. Um, and now they're hosting the Super Cup. So it the stage is set. <laughs> yeah, there's White uh, Snake and Def Leppard on the same bill, surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's one good omen that Lambros has for us, though, Dom. The last European final held at the stadium was won by an English team, and it was the 1971 Cup Winners' Cup final where Chelsea beat Real Madrid. That's the only time that they've hosted a European final, and the English side beat the Spanish side. Of course, Chelsea knocked City out of that season's European Cup Winners' Cup. So. Yes, they did. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Cheers, Lambros. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, instead of uh, derailing the show further, uh, let's get some predictions for the uh, charity bet. The Community Shield result might not have mattered that much to us as fans, but it did for the charity bet. Uh, we had a winner to kick us off for this season. Chris Higginbottom correctly predicted the one-all draw in 90 minutes, winning £65 for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles, and the winnings are going to help fight food poverty in Manchester. Um, we heard from uh, Kevin earlier on that he's gone for a one-all draw uh, between City and Burnley at Turf Moor. That's 9-1 to one and £90 if he's right. Kieran, what are you having for this? I've gone for 2-0 to City. 2-0 City is 11-2 to two and £55 if you're right. Dom? I've got 3-1 City. 
3-1 City is 11-1 to and £110 if you're right. Uh, Dom, what are you having for the Sevilla game? I've got Kieran's score from Burnley. I've got 2 Hill City against Sevilla. Uh, that's five to one and fifty pounds. Uh, I've given Sevilla a goal in that to make it two-one uh, City. That's seven to one and seventy pounds. Kieran, I've got Dom's score from Sevilla. <laughs> I'm going for three-one. Uh, I've just basically copied Dom's homework and changed it up a little bit so, <laughs> so we didn't get caught. Oh, yeah, three-one <laughs> um, is nine to one and ninety quid if you're right. Remember, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and please gamble responsibly. To find out more about responsible gambling, then take a look at begambleaware.com. Org. Uh, now then, City and Burnley open this year's Premier League season on a Friday night. It's not the first Premier League game City have played on a Friday, but Friday games are not a frequent thing by any means. Sam Roscoe has been taking a look at City's Friday matches during the Premier League era. There's been at least one Friday game in each of the last four seasons. Most recently, it was an FA Cup win over Arsenal last January. That game, difficult, I didn't expect. The approach with this courage, the man-to-man, when this happened, make the process difficult. The year before, it was a cup tie against Swindon, where Cole Palmer impressed both on and off the pitch. I enjoyed it on there. Rodo told me, go wide, stay wide. Create things, and that's what I tried to do, and luckily, it paid off. Uh, and what do you make of your first FA Cup goal? Not not one in the Premier League yet, but your first FA Cup goal for City. I know, yeah, delighted. Prem soon come, but just got to um, take it game by game, day by day, and hopefully work my way up. The FA Cup is a source of Friday games. In Guardiola's first year, there was a 5-0 win over West Ham in the third round on a Friday night. That was one of the first times his team put in the level of performance we now expect from them. The last... Uh... Man and a half, two man and a half, we were not able to, to make passes, passes in a row. It was uh, our game, it was uh, unpredictable in the sense that the ball is always up and down, up and down. Today we control a bit more through the passes. And going further back, City's only ever first and second round FA Cup ties were on Fridays too. In 1998, they beat Halifax 3-0 at Main Road in round one and then drew with Darlington at Feetums in round two before later winning the replay. David Priest was in goal for Darlington. Both games were closely contested. Um, I remember Paul Dickoff scoring a late equaliser at Feetums to take it to that second game. And um, Considering the state of our pitch at Feetums at the time, which was, it, it, it had been better served as uh, for going potatoes, really. Weirdly, there's also been a Champions League game on a Friday night, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, when football restarted in 2020. City's second leg with Real Madrid in the last 16 was rescheduled for a Friday. Gabriel Jesus spoke to BT Sport after scoring the winner. It's a Real Madrid, it's a top club. They can beat us, so that's why we come to the pitch to work hard again and try to win and play our football. We have to keep working, do simple things and stay strong to next game. Every other one of City's Friday games since 1992 has been in the league. The most recent was after they'd won the title in 2021. They played at Newcastle, a game remembered for Scott Carson completing 90 minutes in goal. Guardiola spoke afterwards. The people maybe doesn't know he was a real leader for us. He says straight away the young guys and the old guys what he believes. He has a lot of experience, has been in incredible locker rooms and big teams. 
and we are the line, not just me, Eddie, the second one, and Zach, and especially as well the the players the today he could play. So yeah, it was three goals at pieces, couldn't do anything, but uh, so happy for him to make a debut. City won that match 4-3. In fact, Guardiola has only ever lost once on a Friday at City. That was at Wolves over Christmas in 2019. And City fan Richard Burns gave his verdict on the podcast. We played nearly a full match there with 10 men. I actually thought City equipped themselves pretty well for the majority of it. But, of course, they had a 2-0 lead and they've managed to lose the game 3-2. And there's more than one instance within those goals where you can look and say, if it's not for a direct City error or a mistake from a City player then City still don't concede those goals and they win that game. There have been a few festive Friday games for City, like a 3-1 win at West Brom in the snow on Boxing Day in 2014. Bakary Sanya spoke to City TV afterwards. We started the game really well. We managed to, to make the difference quite early and I gave confidence to the team and uh, I think it's one of the best starts we had from the season. I think a lot of people always hope for a white Christmas, but just how difficult were those conditions out there? It was quite quite difficult, nearly impossible to play because the ball was was very slow and it was quite difficult to see as well. Two other Boxing Day games have fallen on Fridays. One was City's 5-1 win over Hull in 2008, remembered for Phil Brown's half-time team talk on the pitch. The other was a 2-1 loss at Birmingham in 2003. Birmingham fan and podcaster Mark Watson picked that game as his heaven choice in one of this season's Patreon shows. As a general rule, I, I don't go to games over Christmas because that's for like family and getting fat and, and various things like that. But then when Fowler scores early on, I'm thinking I'm missing my turkey. I'm missing the great escape on TV. I wish I wasn't here. For us to pull that back, um, it was just ahead of a result and ahead of a day, really. For some reason, games aren't played on Good Friday in the Premier League anymore. That was a source of four of City's Friday matches, including a 2-0 win at Tottenham in 2003. Joey Barton scored in that game. I played the second game against Spurs at White Hart Lane and... Uh, scored, beat them down there. I actually thought it was quite an easy ground to go to. I thought, oh, you must win here all the time. I didn't realise how difficult it was to get results at White Hart Lane. Many of City's Friday games actually came in the Football League. After relegation in 1996, they opened the Division 1 season with a 1-0 win over Ipswich on a Friday night at Main Road. After that, they only won one of their next 11 Friday League games. That was at Stoke in 1999. It is still fresh in mind because I've got uh, two uh, pictures at home. They're in my uh, my carriage is, is now uh, like, like a pub. And one, I'm controlling the ball, and uh, and, and the second picture is of uh, of, of uh, scoring the goal. So I'll uh, I see it every day. So I'll remember it. But, but uh, it was a corner, and and I've got the ball. I control it on my head. And uh, while the ball was still in the air, I uh, I had to kick it very quick. So I had to jump. I can't remember how I did it, but uh, yeah, it's just just impulse you see it and you, you, you think oh, I have to do it quick and it went in very very nice. The next victory was a big one. 1-0 over Birmingham in the year 2000. It put City to within a point of promotion and there was a post-match pitch invasion. Don Farrell ran on the pitch at full time. When I ran on I playfully smacked Moonchester on the back of the head because you're running past a seven foot novelty big blue alien. I thought it'd be a big foam head it's actually very hollow. Maybe nowadays with City's increased resources, we've got a better Moonchester costume. But at the time, it was quite sort of 
hollow Frank Sidebottom kind of vibe to it. But yeah, um, I hit it because I thought it was like hitting a big like funny cushion. But then you think about it, as if you're going to put a bloke's head in like a massive sort of one metre wide cushion. Of course it was hollow. Since the night Dom assaulted Moonchester, City have lost only twice in their 12 matches on a Friday and only once since Sheikh Mansour's takeover. Let's hope they can keep that record going for the season opener against Burnley this Friday night. Hi, this is Sean Gooder and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Sam Roscoe looking at the Friday games. A surprising number of talking points come with City on a Friday. Um, Dom, I mean, I I have to give you the opportunity to defend yourself, uh, unlike you gave Moonchester on that Birmingham game. Um, uh, We heard how you just decided to give the mascot a little bit of a beating there. Um, That that was an exciting Friday game, though, wasn't it? Can I just say it's great because um, that that was on the Patreon, away from prying ears, and... I've, I've made it public, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still, like, you know, so um, you have to reapply for your pass to get into Premier League games as media every year. <laughs> I've not had mine through yet, so I mean that's probably knackered, isn't it? Um, invasion <laughs> of the playing playing area and assaulting a giant alien. Oh, In my defence, I was a very excitable thirteen-year-old, and I defy anyone to run past Manchester's big head in, the, in a bit of excitement and not go, "Yeah, come on." Um, but yeah, it was a. It was a horrible nerve shredding night. It was that, that that Birmingham game and the the Wigan playoff one the year before, all in my mind's eye sort of all mush into one sort of both horrible and euphoric experience because they were scrappy one nil wins and everyone ran on the pitch at the end before we'd even been promoted anyway. So yeah, it was good good crap. Yeah, um, Kieran. There's some there's some cracking uh, Fridays that were and weren't mentioned in that feature as well. Um, I, the Phil Brown uh, halftime team talk uh, at uh, at Eastlands in 2008 that happened on a Friday. It was Boxing Day, but that was a that was a Friday game. See, I think this is a bit ruby the way you've done this. If Boxing Day falls on a Friday. Uh, is it a is it a Friday game? Like? Well, a Good Friday. There's some Good Friday games in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, that's what I mean. Like some of the festive, some of the festive style games that when you don't know what day of the week it is, um, don't actually, in my head, seem to count as Friday games. So it was a real okay. It's, no, so it was a real surprise to see the list and to hear the feature and to know. Uh, it, it it took it took me it took me by surprise. Okay, so um, strike strike that one out then. Strike out the snow at West Brom uh, yeah, with, no, with all no, the pretty no, pitches. No, 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 I know. I'm I'm praising you for um, your resilience in approaching this um, because other podcasts may not have found a feature in this, but you, <laughs> you, you scratch beneath the surface. Yeah, we um, uh, we we go where others dare not to tread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, the Phil Brown, um, the Phil Brown Brayton's team, uh, amazing. Um, I don't know. Well, did it do some good? I guess it did because um, City didn't score in the second half, did they? I think they. I think they. I think they both score. I think they drew the second half one all. Right, but yeah. So it's it's sort of um, 
it, it sort of shored things up a little bit. Uh, obviously, the follow-up for that was the uh, the Bullard piss take kind of um, mocking celebration of it. Uh, the following time when they visited the Etihad and, and Phil Brown's kind of sardonic little laugh uh, off it. It was quite funny, I guess. Um, I've talked about this. Uh, the Wolves won where Ederson got sent off because I was dressed as a monk in the pub. Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> I talked about that on the Patreon before, yeah. Um, so there were, yeah, there were a lot of funny little memories that come along with Friday night games, it turns out. Yeah, the, the, there's Wolves on a Friday night spells, you know, doom, doesn't it, Dom? Because they, they got battered 4-1 there um, in 99 on a Friday night. Yeah, Robert Taylor's debut, that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was a, you know, a, big, a, a recurrent Friday night character, that, that Birmingham one. To pick up on uh, the religious theme from Kieran dressed as a monk. Um, <laughs> were, you, were you dressed as a bishop for that one? <laughs> no, no. So um, one of the good Friday wins, I believe, was when City beat Liverpool in 1995. Yeah. Um, which, that was before Premier League games on, on Good Friday was a thing, but it got moved because it was the weekend of the Hillsborough anniversary. Um and this, so at the time I was a, a church attending altar boy, and this caused a bit of a ruckus with my mum that me and my dad were going to go and watch City instead. Um, and I remember saying to the priest that I couldn't serve mass because I was going to go and watch City get crucified instead. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for an eight year old was a really good bit of wordplay. Oh, it, that's but, amazing. You're going to it hell. It was particularly well received, and but they didn't get crucified because. Mar- Maurizio Galdino scored a brilliant header that, like, I've looked for on YouTube and can't find. I think it was a diving header from, like, about the penalty spot, but in my mind's eye, it was from about 25 yards out. He's, like, yeah. the best ever I've seen. Um, yes, yeah, so that, that, that was a that, that, that was a, that a fondly remembered one, and um, the family are all still friends, so it's all good. Good, good. Uh, Scott Carson played 90 minutes at Newcastle, Kieran, uh, 2021, uh, out of nowhere. That was a Friday night. Who knew? Mm, I didn't know that. Was it? Was that the one where Ferran Torres scored? Yeah, he scored a hat-trick a with <laughs> some, some brilliant goals in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it? We'd won the league. Was it wrapped up? Yes, obviously, yeah. because that's why Carson was playing, yeah. Um why would that have been a Friday night? Was it just because it was the mad COVID season and and all bets were off kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, just re- just rescheduling games left, right, and mm-hmm. centre at that, that, that point in the season. Uh, before we move on, I do want to give a shout out to uh, we heard him in the in the feature there, the head and volley uh, at Stoke um, by Gerard Vikins. Um, I, I want to tell the story about Gerard Vikins because um, obviously that interview came from when I interviewed him for the Wembley book in uh, it was about ten years ago now, um, and he is the nicest man on the planet. Because I went to I went to the Netherlands to speak to him. Um, I just did, I'd emailed him and I'd, I interviewed him for the podcast before. I'd only done it over the phone. I wanted to, I, I knew I wanted to make a documentary, so I wanted it in quality audio. Um, and so I, I emailed him and just said, "Listen, I'll come I'll come and uh, meet you in the Netherlands if you can give me an hour." Um, and he didn't. He gave me a whole day of his life. Um, oh. And so he came to the hotel in the morning. We we did the interview, and then at that point he said, "Do you want Do you want to come and see where I work?" So we, he took me to to um, Groningen, where he then worked at the time. Uh, showed me around the stadium and and kind of uh, like described what his what his role was. Uh, then took us to Vaindam, which is the club that's now out of business, uh, but the only club he played for that wasn't City. He moved from Vaindam to City, back to Vaindam. 
Um, and we we kind of talked about how the club had closed down, ran out of money, that sort of thing. Then we got back in the car, and as we, you know, you get that sense of direction sometimes when you when you're driving somewhere, someone else is driving, and you're going, "This isn't the right way." Because he <laughs> said he was taking us back to the hotel, and and um, I was like, "I'm sure this is not the right way." Anyway, we turned into this residential estate, um, and uh, he said, "Oh, by the way, this is where I live. Come in, come in." Um, and we went in. His garage, he's converted into a like a, an, an English style pub. He's got what? a load. Of, he's got shirts all over it. So frame shirts of of uh, of his of players that he's played against. He's got Ruud van Nistelrooy's shirt from the uh, the final derby at Main Road, where he basically pocketed van Nistelrooy for ninety minutes. Um, and up there on the wall is is two photographs of him scoring this goal at Stoke, where he controls it on his head and then volleys it into the top corner. And it's honestly, genuinely, one of the nicest men in football. One of the best experiences of my life doing any sort of podcast and and writing stuff. Um, and I've not got a bad word to say about him. So I just wanted to I wanted to tell the story of um, of, of how Gerard Vikings basically abducted me from from the hotel and took me to his house, uh, and then took me to his garage where he's got a pub set up. It's it's honestly it's, it was it was really nice. Pretty um, surreal. Yeah, That's it was mega. it was a it was a lovely lovely afternoon in the Netherlands. Let's finish uh, with some quick fire predictions. Uh, we uh, we always do these, uh, and I definitely didn't forget last week to do them, and I definitely planned it for this week. So let's do them now. Um, you know the drill: one sentence max as your answer. Um, Kieran, we'll start with you. Who will win the title this season, and why? Uh, Chelsea, because I never like to say City, and uh, I hate all the rest of the teams. You know, you said that last season and the season before <laughs> and the season before that. So, uh, yes, and congratulations who, for being for being consistent. And who won the league in all those seasons, dude? Yeah, okay, superstitious bugger. Uh, Dom, <laughs> who'll win the season? Who won the title this season and why? Uh, Manchester City, because um, to set Kieran's mind at ease, Erling Haaland's not shit. Okay, uh, Richard did exactly that last season to find out where the balance lay in the superstition stakes so we'll find out again this year um, Dom Harland aside who will be City's top scorer this season Phil Foden Kieran oh I was going to say that um, we still can <laughs> <laughs> Alvarez okay uh, Kieran how many trophies will City win this season uh, two wait actually this is Super Cup isn't there Three. Is is it a trophy though? That's the question, Dom. Well, it is now. Um are we counting the European Super Cup? I will let you count whatever you want to. Alright, so both Super Cups, that and the Club World Cup and Wait, there's another one. Yeah, there's yes, a Club, the Club World, World Cup, Cup. To come, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um Super Cup, Club World Cup, I think they'll win. Uh, and then one of the big ones, but not both. Okay. Champions League or Premier League. I think the squad's not quite there. Cup runs might be a bit tricky and need a lot of luck. So, yeah, uh, three. Three. Uh, Dom, which City player will be the surprise of the season and why? Um, that's hard when you sort of know about them all. Um, Rico Lewis, because I think he might play in midfield a bit more or uh, he's just... The kid's class, and he can he can be whatever he wants to be, and it's going to be exciting. Yeah, Kieran. Um, I think uh, the surprise this season will be Kovacic. I think he'll he'll just fit in really well and, and be even better than we thought. Yeah, Kieran. Which player needs a good season, and why? Um, I've already mentioned him, but Alvarez. I think. Uh, 
towards the, t- the tail end of last season, I thought he looked a bit tired. And although he was popping up with a goal here and there, I, I, I don't think he was taking games by the scruff of the neck enough and he was going missing a little bit. So um, I would like to see him perhaps do a little bit more. Yeah. Dom, good season. Why? I'd say Foden again, um, even though I think he will. Um, for the first time in his career last season, he, he kind of plateaued a bit. Um, it's always been up, up and up. So seeing how he responds to that, um, the areas of need in the team with with Gundy and Amara's going and the goals they provide, I think City need a big Phil Foden season. And finally, Dom, we'll start with you. Uh, who will win the most money on the charity bet this season? Um, didn't you have a good run actually, David, last season? Let, let's say, well, you're going to win the most money on charity bet. I think. Finally, somebody has said yeah. that. <laughs> and, like, I, I always make a big song and dance about nobody saying me, bearing in mind that I generally do the most over the course of a season. And yeah, I've see, won the people, most money. People, people think you just give your predictions away yeah. to your guests, but there's not a guest for every club. And yeah, yeah I'm on to how you're gaming the system, don't we? Yeah, you? and last season and the season before, I won the most money each time and nobody said me. Kieran? Um. Well, I'm not saying you now. Heggy, <laughs> <laughs> um, because he's already off to a great start and uh, he's a wonderful friend. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll see how uh, on the money you two are with those uh, later in the season. But for now, that's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please go and give it a rating and a review where you can. And if you can, please sign up to our Patreon. The bonus shows are now back and we've got a clip of this week's coming up very soon. Uh, All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much to my guests for today's show. Dom Farrell. Thanks, mate. And Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blues. See you next time. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. My granddad, right, he's a big, he was the biggest City fan ever. And, and me and him used to chat every, every game. After the game, I'd, I'd, I'd ring him up and chat and he loves City. And when, when, he, when he died, his funeral song he chose was The Impossible Dream. And I always remember a flag at Old Trafford that said The Impossible Dream and it had a treble on it. And every time I put that song on or it came on in a movie, it made me cry, right? Yeah. And I could never listen to The Impossible Dream song without it making me cry. And I thought, if we win the Champions League, I'm going to get a flag made, The Impossible Dream, in tribute to my granddad. And I got back to my hotel room at 6am in Turkey and I lay on the bed and I thought, I'm going to put The Impossible Dream on because I knew it'd make me cry, but it didn't make me cry. It made me smile. And I can't describe it, right? I just think it's full circle. I think there's a lot of City fans of my era and and older that are finally at rest with it. And I think you can't ever take this football club anywhere where we haven't been before. So you can take us to the depth of Division 2 if you want. There'll still be 30,000 there. And you can take us back to the Champions League final. We've we've been there, we've done it. We've got the T-shirt. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode.